morning, everybody. It is good to see you, and uh, really, really good um, to see so many uh, friendly, loving faces uh, back, and also some friendly, loving faces visiting uh, for the weekend. Uh, God bless you all, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that in the midst of our time together today, we're far enough uh, from the lake uh, that we won't have uh, the blue angels disrupting us, um, but if we do, I can get louder, so don't you worry. <laughs> All right, so guys, it's, uh, it's great to um, see you, and as we're coming to the uh, end of our summer, it's been a good one, and I hope it's been a good one for everybody who traveled, uh, both in the country and overseas. Um, hope you have great stories and testimonies um, to tell about all that God did um, in and through your lives during that time. Uh, to catch you up, uh, what we've been doing over the course of uh, the latter part of our summer together is we've been going through a series um, called Revealed, uh, discovering the names, qualities, and character of God. And uh, why we're doing that is because whenever we as Christians come to church, we're here, like the song was declaring, we're here to worship him, encounter him, and serve him as we leave this place. And so to do so, we've got to know accurately who he is, what he is like, and also how dependable he is, what ways we could depend on him based on the character that he's revealed to us. It's not one that uh, is static, but it's one that's uh, dynamic. And what I do not mean by that is that God changes. I mean that God's immutable. He does not change. Um, but what he's done throughout the course of history is he's chosen to make himself known to us um, by his qualities and by his character. And we started off this series talking about the fact that the name that is above every name, the most important name that anybody needs to know is the name of Jesus Christ, obviously, right? Um, it says that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But um, what we see is that leading up to everything being fulfilled in the person of Jesus, throughout the Old Testament, we had God revealing himself in multiple names. And these names weren't um, revealing different gods, they were revealing different attributes of God through those names. And so it's almost like if you were to go online and uh, you had a Facebook page and you were to do the about section. Does anybody have an about section about yourself? Okay. And you're describing all of the idiosyncrasies about yourself so that if somebody wants to interact with you, they can interact with you two ways. They can interact with you uh, by all the pictures you post, right? Um, that gives them a little glimpse into uh, your world and who you are, the things you like, the things you do. Um, but then you're also your about um, section tells you, gives you the ability to tell the world who you are and what you like what you don't like. And that's what God's given us in his word. He's saying, if you want relationship with me, I'm not going to have you guess who I am. I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm self-revelatory and therefore you can trust me as you interact with me. So over the past several weeks, we've been um, going through several of the names of God. And if you haven't um, been with us, you uh, might be familiar with some of those names. We talked about um, God uh, describing himself as Elohim. Uh, Elohim in the Old Testament, and then going on to him being Adonai, the Lord and the master of all creation, uh, God being specific in relationship to his, uh, his people as Yahweh, um, otherwise transliterated Jehovah. Many of people have heard the name Jehovah before, but whenever we are reading our Bible and see in all caps that word, the Lord, he's talking about himself as Yahweh, his, his specific name in covenant with his people, Israel. And so um, we went on 
1, and God started describing his character, um, talking about himself as Jehovah Jireh, um, who's um, our provision and provider, um, Jehovah Rophi, uh, which is basically God our healer, Jehovah Nisi, um, God our banner, uh, Jehovah M. Kadesh, uh, which is our God who sanctifies us, and also Jehovah Shalom, which is God our peace. And so all of these things, uh, again, if you'd like to understand them more, study them more, we could uh, talk about it more, but they're in this series, both online and also in some of the notes that are on, uh, online if you'd like to go through those. But today we're going to move. We only have two more parts of this series, but today we're going to focus on uh, one of the most important names of God throughout the Old Testament, um, and it's really reflected uh, pointedly in the New Testament, uh, where we hear this word righteousness over and over again. It was in some of the songs that we sang today. It was in Cole doing announcements. It, was, it should be in everything that we talk about. And um, we're going to understand God today as God, our righteousness. And so if you're taking notes, the uh, title of God or the name that God chose to reveal himself in the Hebrew was a name called Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu. And Maybe you have heard of this before. Maybe you haven't. How many of you have heard of Jehovah Sidkenu before? Okay, you will after today. All right, great. <laughs> All right, so Jehovah Sidkenu, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you've given us um, just a firm foundation off of which we can build our lives. God, you've given us uh, not only your name, but also your word by which we could know your character, your qualities, and how to relate with you faithfully over our days throughout our lives. God, we're asking you that you would increase our confidence, increase our trust in you as we get to know you more fully. Jesus, we're reminded that you said, now this is eternal life, that you might know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. So God, we're asking you to help us today to reveal yourself and to open our eyes and hearts and also our understanding that we might rest in you being our Jehovah Seed Canoe through Jesus Christ today. Amen. All right. So if you have a Bible today, where we're going to start is in uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, it'll be there on the screen for you. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. I'm going to give you a little bit of context to it, and then it's going to help us to understand how God's revealing himself as Jehovah Seed Canoe. Okay? So it says this. Woe to the shepherds. Verse 1, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who take care for my people, who care for my people, rather. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you. For your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, very important, a righteous branch, and she, and he rather, shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, 
and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. Then they shall dwell in their own land. Okay, so here we have, um, just for a little bit of context, a period of time where we've moved out of the period of the judges. Part of our desire for you here in the church is that you wouldn't just come week after week and hear messages, but that throughout the week you would have an encounter with God, you would have a relationship with God, where not only you worship him and pray, but you have your own Bible study time. You have your own Bible study time, and again, we encourage you to have uh, study Bibles like the, I know there's a famous one, the NIV Study Bible, which gives you a context and a history of things. If you want to learn some of the things that we're talking about throughout this series, like the uh, Old Testament names and uses of the words in the original Hebrew or Aramaic languages, they have things like the Hebrew-Greek Study Bible that has a lexicon for you, and though you may not be able to understand things fully because you're not studying Greek or Hebrew, it gives you at least a picture of what these words are talking about and what the full meaning of these things are. But it also gives you um, in these study Bibles a good history of what's happening at the time of the writing of the prophets. So we see that we're looking in the book of Jeremiah today. And Jeremiah, if you're studying, was one of the major prophets of the Old Testament Israelites. He was prophesying at a time of a good king named Josiah. And after the book of Judges, we see that the Israelites were going through a cycle as we talked about, of going without the Lord for many years, doing what was evil in his sight because they didn't ascribe to his law or his ways that he'd already laid out in the Torah, which are the first five books of the Bible, giving us his commands that were to follow. But instead, they started to do what was right in their own eyes. And that's much like today, right? People, I don't know how many people I talked to yesterday um, as we were doing the outreach who described themselves as spiritual, but not necessarily those who are ardent or active followers of Christ. They sort of make up their own religion. They make up their own spirituality and try to say that that's okay with God. God, on the other hand, said, because I've revealed myself, I'm telling you that that's not okay with me. And in the time of of the judges, what would happen is that the Israelites would do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He would turn them over to the surrounding nations who would judge them or punish them for periods of time. And then because God's merciful, he would hear their cries over the time of their captivity. God would raise up judges and then these judges would deliver them from the oppression of the surrounding nations. And that for a period of time, the people of God would actually be obedient to his commands again. You fast forward a little bit, and unfortunately, this cycle didn't get any better. You have the time of the kings. And if you look at the kings of Israel, they were a part of that same cycle where God himself was ordained to be the king over his nation, Israel. And he says, I've already given you my commands that you're to obey and you're to follow. Eventually, the Israelites started to look around them and see that all the other nations around them had physical kings by which they were to receive leadership. 
And so they began to crave the things that they could see around them like the other nations had. And they said, give us a king just like these other nations. And though God was like, I'm your king, I've given you my commands, I'm going to acquiesce to what you're saying. I'm going to raise up kings for you. It started with a man named Saul. Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and then the more famous one we know as King David, who was known after a man after God's own heart. But in the line of David, there were several other kings who came forth, and they were sometimes good, following the commands of God, and they were sometimes bad, leading the Israelites to disobey the commandments of the Lord. And so this cycle that you saw in Judges that we spoke about last week continued in the book of Kings, and it was a continuous cycle of up and down, up and down, and whenever God would raise up a righteous king for a period of time, the Israelites would return to the commands of the law of God. But then this righteous king would go the way of all the earth, and then the Israelites would immediately turn back. And so what would happen, though, is that over the course of time, it was almost like the sifting of the sand on a beach shore. Things got worse and worse so that eventually God brought the kingdoms of the kingdom of Israel and divided them into two kingdoms. There was one kingdom, which was the 10 tribes of Israel in the north, which was called Israel. And then there was another one in the south containing the city of Jerusalem, where the temple worship was. And that was the southern kingdom of Judah. And over the course of time, you need to know this historically, we see that God sent the Israelites who were continuing in their apostasy into judgment, into exile, and for a period of 100 years... A hundred years, they were in exile in a foreign land and didn't return to that which God promised them because of their sin. And Judah is sitting there watching this. Judah is sitting there understanding that they're sent into exile because of their sin. But unfortunately, they didn't learn the lessons of the Israel, um, Israeli kingdom to the north. And so Jeremiah is a prophet who's raised up in the time of one of these good kings, Josiah, who tried to turn the Israelites back to the law of God. But what we see is that just as their pattern was, they listened for a moment and then went back to their ways. They listened for a moment and then went back to their sin. And what Jeremiah, who was ultimately called the weeping prophet, is beginning to describe, is he's beginning to describe at a period of time where not just the northern kingdom of Israel, but the southern kingdom of Judah would be sent into exile by a neighboring nation, which was called Babylon. Babylon, led by a man named Nebuchadnezzar. And they would be taken into captivity, and there judged for their sin, And Jeremiah is prophesying about this before their final judgment came. And he's saying, I'm telling you to turn. I'm telling you to turn. I'm telling you to turn. And they were like, be quiet. We don't want to hear you prophesying anymore about righteousness. We don't want to hear you prophesying anymore about right living before God. We just want peace in our time. And if you are going to talk in God's name, we want you to tell us nothing but peace is coming our way. And is that not the case in our modern generation? It's a generation of people who try to ascribe the name of God to nothing but blessing. And they only try to connect God with what they can use him for. 
I'm going to pray and God's going to give me my best life now. I'm, gonna, I'm not picking on anyone. I'm going to pray and God's going to, no, no, listen now. I'm going to pray and God's going to give me everything that I want or I desire. I'm going to start claiming things in faith and God's going to prosper me the way that I think I need to be prospered, not the way God wants to prosper me, right? People begin to say, peace, peace, when Jeremiah said there is no peace. And there is no peace in the land because not, it wasn't because people weren't ascribing to the name of God. It was because they weren't ascribing to his righteousness. They weren't ascribing to his righteousness and his law and right living that constantly had them in this cycle of blessing and then judgment, blessing and then further judgment, sliding down whenever they wouldn't return, not just to his name, but to his righteousness. This is what Jeremiah is talking about. So we see him say that in the time of the kings that would follow him, Israel was going to, not just Israel, but the nation, um, I'm sorry, the kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah was going to go into exile, into judgment. And it was because of the fact that they didn't live righteously, but God Almighty, the Lord who is our righteousness, would eventually appear to make things right. So if you're trying to understand who he said he was in this moment, why it was mixed in with judgment, it's in understanding Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah our righteousness. The term Jehovah our Sidkenu literally means Jehovah our righteousness. The word Sidkenu is derived from the word Sedek. It's another Hebrew word. And it's one of the most important in the Old Testament. Sedek originally meant to be stiff or straight. To be stiff or straight. Like a plumb line, right? It's sort of like where people think that God's wavering all of the time in his commands. Like some, you know, it may be back in the day in old fashioned and old nature, you know what I mean, that we um, exalted things like purity and sexual propriety, right? Now it's a different time and we can change our values and we could change our systems and we could change our ways. God might have cared about things like drunkenness before, but not today. He's a little bit looser. It's all about grace now, right? But Sidkenu, the righteousness of God, is talking about that which is straight and stiff. Straight and stiff and unchanging. It signifies God's dealings with men carrying the ideas of righteousness justification, and because of a breaking, a continual breaking of those righteous decrees, acquittal before God. But how would that acquittal come? How would that acquittal come if we're all held guilty before the commands of a righteous, and as we talked about before, a holy God, how would that acquittal ever come? As God revealed the acceptable manner of worship of himself and the basis of of our approach to him as a holy God when we talked about Jehovah M. Kadesh, which again meant the God who sets us apart as holy, the God who sanctifies us. When he's talking about himself as Jehovah Sidkenu, he's talking differently, not just about worship and how we're to approach him, but he's talking about how we're to interact with one another. As Jehovah revealing himself as the God who reveals right and just relationships among mankind. When you're talking about righteousness, it has to do with right living. Yes, there is a right way to live. 
People don't want to say that today, but yes, there is a right way to live before God. If you're calling yourself a Christian, you cannot be sexually immoral. If you are calling yourself a Christian, you cannot live in drunkenness. If you're calling yourself a Christian, you cannot live in idolatry, which means that with my time, my resources, or my talents, I'm giving my best efforts to everything else but God. And I'm giving God simply my leftovers. God is a king, and he says, in righteousness, in your dealings with me and with the other humanity, I want your first and your best. I want you to give me that which is righteous. And when we see that over and over again, God's demanding righteousness and brings judgment on that which is not righteous, we can look at our own lives and see the problems that have occurred as a result of either our own lack of righteousness, dealings with other men and women, or those who've gone before us. You often look at the problems in our lives and we think, why am I dealing with this relational issue with my spouse? It might be because we're not dealing with them in righteousness. We're not dealing with them with, in love and humility, preferring them above ourselves in our interactions, but are instead living selfishly. We come out of families where that was actually a case passed down to us, where we saw things like abuse and infidelity and say, why am I actually dealing with things that I didn't do myself? Well, it's because of the lack of righteousness that's passed down. That's passed down. And God says, regardless of who does it, sin touches everyone. Sin touches everyone. It touches us individually when we commit it, and it also touches the people who surround us as a result of it. And whenever God is saying that I'm righteous, I'm Jehovah Sidkenu, it's I'm telling you, I'm letting you know there are repercussions for our choices. There are repercussions for our choices. They're not choices that you have to forever mark you because he's a redeemer. But without understanding that there are causes and effects in our living, we'll live as if his righteous decrees don't make a difference in our lives. But they do. And this is what Jeremiah is declaring about God, about him being Jehovah Sidkenu. Now, <clears throat> the unfortunate part of it is, is that if God is righteous, completely holy, and completely pure, and we're trying to relate with him, this is the crux of the gospel, is it not? There is no way that on our own we have the ability to stand before a God like this. Not if we're honest with ourselves. We have the ability to stand before a God we make up. And that's what people do all the time, right? They're like, because I'm making God in my own image, he'll be whatever I need him to be. And so if I'm bad in this area, he doesn't really care about that. If I'm good in this area, oh, he applauds that. And I could give that to him all day, every day, right? But when we're honest with ourselves and we see the God of the Bible who gives us his commands, 
we all see that we've fallen short of the righteousness that he's laid down for us. All of us. Not one of us is free of that. And the unfortunate thing is, is that it's not just before we were Christian, our BC days. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Anybody come roaring into the kingdom thinking that you had committed your last sin after you said that sinner's prayer? Oh, I had people who told me before I became a Christian, like they hadn't sinned in years because they're a Christian now. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I think I need to read my Bible and stop listening to you. <laughs> And if we're to come before a holy and a righteous God, the unfortunate thing is, as Jehovah Sidkunu, no one would stand before him if we're only depending on our own effort and ability. And so many of your family members, so many of your friends, so many of your co-workers who had some exposure to religiosity or religion are keeping a distance from God even now because they think that to come to this God, they have to get everything together. And they have to get everything right before they make an approach to him. And it's often perpetuated by this religious idea that if we have come to him, then finally we have our own righteousness that we're standing in. And if we ever fall short of that righteousness, even as Christians, we can't come to him. That's what discourages people as Christians over and over again from praying or worshiping. I know some people who I haven't seen in months, and I know what they're dealing with, but they're feeling shame and disgrace because of things that they've done, thinking that the only way they can come and worship before God is if they have a righteousness to stand on their own with. And God is saying over and over again, enough. I've given you the opportunity, each of you, since you are yay high, to do it right. And I'm showing you your desperate lack of ability to do it without me. For all of you Calvinists in here, that's good news for you, right? <laughs> Saying there is no ability within ourselves to justify ourselves before God. But Jeremiah is saying, even in the midst of exile, I'm te telling you the solution is not going to be your own righteousness, but it's going to be Jehovah, who is our righteousness, who comes to save you. Jehovah, who is our righteousness, who comes to save you. Going back to the story of context of what Jeremiah was prophesying in. Before the last bit of the Israelites were taken into captivity in Babylon and out of Judah, and the land of Israel was left, left desolate except for a remnant for a period of time, <coughs> there was another king, not Josiah, but another king named Mat Mataniah, which his name, his birth name, his given name meant Gift of Jehovah. Gift of Jehovah. And for years, the Israelites had been equating God's pleasure to his blessings. Just because I'm blessed, God must be approving of how I'm living. 
And in that final judgment, as Jeremiah was prophesying, Nebuchadnezzar came, plundered the Israelites who were in Judah, and changed Mataniah's name to Zedekiah. Which actually, ironically enough, means the righteousness of Jehovah. He says, you've been living on this idea that just because you're blessed, God's pleased with you all up to this time. The prophet told you that's not true. You needed to repent, turn back to his ways. You didn't listen. I'm going to take you into captivity now. And of all things, I'm going to call you Jehovah's righteousness. What a rebuke that was from a pagan king saying the very reason that I'm taking you into captivity. And it's almost like those who surround the church today, pointing at the church, calling it a bunch of what? Hypocrites, right? And why are we called hypocrites? It's not because God has changed. It's because of how we're living, And this is the same thing that was happening in this king's time. He's like, listen, you have lived all these years on God's gifts, equating that to his pleasure. But now I'm taking you into captivity and reminding you from the outside that the reason you're coming into captivity, the reason you're having these issues is because you've forsaken his righteousness. A pagan who did not know God, was rebuking the Israelites. And what we see is that God in his nature is always redemptive. God in his nature, even after the 70 years of captivity that the Israelites had in Babylon, even when false prophets were rising up saying, Hey, listen, don't worry. We're about to go home tomorrow, right? You don't have to worry about righteousness. Come on, we're we're going home. And Jeremiah was in the midst of the captivity. Don't believe him. It's going to be 70 years. And you're not getting out until those 70 years are up. And the good news is that historically to the day, God came true to his word and was faithful to his word. And after 70 years of captivity, the Israelites returned back to their land. But it was all based on the same promise that God made. He said, listen, though the pagan nation rebuked you for your lack of righteousness, I'm going to tell you that as I bring you back into the land, and here's the good news for anybody who would turn to God and understand that righteousness is the foundation of his throne. He is the righteous one. And if I'm turning to God, I've got to turn to him in righteousness. He said, God's foundation is sealed with this inscription that regardless of what you think about yourself and your relationship with God, God said to Timothy, he said, through the apostle Paul, the Lord knows those who are his. Just like I know my own kids, right? Somebody come up to me on like says, I'm your dad. Like, you know, you're my daddy. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you're not. (laughs) You're not my kid. You know what I mean? We were in a restaurant the other <laughs> we were the, in the restaurant the other day, and if anybody knows my wife B, you know she doesn't look like me, but my kids do. And then they, there was somebody behind the counter who actually pointed to my kids, and they looked at me and they're like, "You're the daddy." 
And I was like, yes, 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 I am. <laughs> you know, because my stamp was on them, right, genetically. In the same way, God's saying, my stamp needs to be on you by the Holy Spirit, and that stamp is going to produce righteous living in you if you've turned to me. How? Because Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness, will come as we turn to him, not as we want him to be, but as he is. This is why Jeremiah later in the prophet, he actually prophesied this in Jeremiah 33, starting in verse 14. He said this, in those days, talking about the time after the captivity, in those days, and at that time, I will cause, once again, a righteous branch a righteous branch talking about the Lord Jesus Christ to spring up for David, the first king of Israel. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. When I save my people out of their captivity, it will be through the Lord who is our righteousness. No longer us having to fulfill it on our own, but the Lord will come with righteousness to be the plumb line to actually cover us in his righteousness and then teach us how to live righteously out of that place. And this is the crux of the gospel. Whenever you heard of things like the Roman road, you fast forward to Romans where Paul's talking to a predominantly pagan community. It's mixed with Jews, but it's also a new community trying to learn who God is and how to serve him by faith. And in Romans 3, Romans 3, he's talking about this Jehovah Sidkenu and how to interact with him. And he says, what then? Talking first to Jews who had the law, who had a history of being turned over in captivity because of their lack of righteousness. He says, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Does anybody feel that way looking at the news nowadays? I do. Trouble on every side, right? Trouble on every side. Whether you hear about threats from North Korea or you hear about the white supremacist rally in Virginia or you hear about the bombings, the, the terror, I'm sorry, the terrorist attacks in Barcelona. On every side, there is sin coming out of humanity. It doesn't matter where you go in the earth. It says they've all together become worthless. And it's because they haven't known Jehovah, our righteousness. No one does good, not even one. And for all of the issues, let me tell you, Cole and I were talking and talking about the issues that were coming up today in the news. And everybody has their own hot topic or hot button that they want to make their cause. Saying this is what's wrong. But they don't care about all the other things that are wrong as well. And as Christians, what we're called to do is be steady. 
Because when you see evil coming up in the world, all it is is the flavor of the month for the people who are separated from God. And if you make anything your cause rather than the gospel of Christ, you'll end up in a ditch. Why? Because he says there's no one good. No, not one. They've all together become worthless. If you look at the rest of this, it says their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace, the shalom of God, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth, every mouth, that's not just us who think that we're holier than thou, right? It's every mouth. That every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And this is where we need to highlight it. But now, according to his promise, according to all that he foreshadowed in Jeremiah's predictions, now the righteousness, the right standing, the innocence of God that comes not from us, but the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law apart from people being able to do what's right in their own effort and their own ability, because even after you make that confession of faith, you fall short. And you need a righteousness that's not your own. And if you're going to have a relationship with God who loves you, it's got to be a righteousness that was when you prayed that sinner's prayer, and it's every day thereafter. When you go to Him, you stand not on your own merit or your own ability, but you stand on his. Why? Because it's a righteousness from God. A righteousness from God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, including who? Not a trick question. What we're talking about today, Jeremiah. These aren't just random laws and prophets he's talking about. It all flows together. A continuous story. The law and the prophets testify to it. Bearing witness, the righteousness of God through faith, in who? In Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. And this is it. This was to show God's righteousness. So who's righteous? He's righteous. Who else is righteous? No, that was a trick question. Say, I am. (laughs) Oh yeah, that was a trick question. I am if I'm in him. Good news, right? I'm righteous because of him. Why? Because he says, 
in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Good news for us. It was shown to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, meaning the one who punishes sin, where? On the cross. On the cross of Jesus Christ. And the justifier, meaning counting innocent in his sight, justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So that means the righteous one is righteous. But that means that anyone in him is righteous too. Why? Because he becomes the Lord, our righteousness. And he says, I'm coming to cover you under the shadow of my wings, by my blood, by my sacrifice. Good news for you. Not just when you pray a sinner's prayer, but every day thereafter. That's why you can grow in your confidence before him and your pursuit of him because that righteousness is not of you, it's of him. And when you're trying to address the world that's so desperately needed of his nature and his character, you can think of his name and his character this way. For our daily sustenance, we need Jehovah Jireh, our provider. For the terrorist attacks in Barcelona, Spain, we need Jehovah Rofi and Jehovah Nisi, our healer and our banner. For the white supremacists and neo-Nazi rallies in Virginia and elsewhere, we need Jehovah M. Kadesh, our sanctifier, who not only gets that bigotry out of the hearts of men and women, but also shows you who don't have it how to respond to them how to have hope in the gospel for them just as anybody would have for you. (laughs) For the nuclear threat out of North Korea, we need Jehovah Shalom, our peace. In it all, because of humanity's sin, we need Jesus, our Jehovah Sidkenu, turning us to repentance at the cross and providing us with a righteousness through which we live by the power of his resurrection and the new life he's given us. I know we sing a lot of contemporary songs. Worship team, you can come up. But this is an old song, meaning a hymn. That's right, a hymn. It's not a bad word that I want to share with you. It's a hymn. And I didn't grow up in church So I wasn't always familiar with hymns, but let me tell you something. Hymns are great because they are theologically rich and sound. (laughs) As opposed to a lot of the stuff today that makes you want to cry. But besides that, it's like, now what what was I just singing? (laughs) This is a hymn called, I Was Once a Stranger. I Was Once a Stranger. Anybody know that one? I was once a stranger, and it went like this. I was once a stranger to the grace, to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah Sidkenu was nothing to me. I oft read with pleasure to soothe or engage Isaiah's wild measure and John's simple page. But in... When they pictured the blood-sprinkled tree, Jehovah Sidkenu seemed nothing to me. Like tears from the daughters of Zion that roll, 
I wept when the waters went over his soul, yet thought not that my sins had nailed to the tree. Jehovah Sidkunu, t'was nothing to me. When free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fear shook me, I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah Sidkunu, my savior, must be. My terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished. With boldness I came to drink at the fountain, life-giving and free. Jehovah Sidkenu is all things to me. That's the gospel. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ for not just us in here, but for the world. That's why we love him. That's why we preach him. He's good, and let's worship him as such.